0: or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Donato Tremuto has nearly four decades of business leadership experience and is most notable for his ability to balance transactional and transformational leadership within organizations. He has launched two successful startups, successfully led the turnaround of a public healthcare company, and has executed innovative programs leading to sustainable business results through his compassionate leadership program. Donato has uh, also been inspired by Robert F. Kennedy and is a recipient of the prestigious RFK Ripple of Hope and the RFK Embracing His Legacy Award for Donato's endless dedication to improving the lives of others. I'm really excited to be speaking with Donato today. Hello. How are you, Donato?
1: I'm doing terrific. Uh, and how are you doing today, Ed?
0: I am doing great. Thank you so much. So I took a light stab at introducing you. And I'm just wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit more about your background and really what you're doing in the marketplace today.
1: Yeah, let me start backwards. Um, You know, I've spent a little over four decades in the business world as a C-suite leader. And last year by design, I um, decided that I would step out of that role and dedicate my life Um, to helping future leaders uh, lead with compassion. In my second book, which is due to be out in March, um, we surveyed over 40 leaders, Ed. And these are names that people know, and some names you may not know them. And what we did is to really extract from these 40 leaders what compassionate leadership means to them, and then we matched it against 1,500 individuals that we surveyed in the United States. And so my goal is over the next whatever. It's funny I measure my life now by how many summers I have left. I um, I think I have 20 summers left. I hope. But I'm going to dedicate my time now to helping current and future leaders understand that compassionate leadership is not weak leadership. And I'm and I'm doing that through my two not-for-profits. Um, the Trimuto Foundation and Healthy Villages.
0: Great. Sounds fantastic. And I hope we hear about them, uh, Donato. Let's talk a little bit about this concept of compassionate leadership because I don't think lots of people think about it in that perspective. I know when I go to college, and I'm sure today when kids go to college, it's not a course in how to be compassionate. It's more opposite, you know, how to uh, make profit and Drive revenue and gross profit, etc. So, you know, how are you, and I think it's related to bravery at work. I, I believe that when we are brave with our colleagues, we need to be showing them that we're helping them, that we're not judging them or belittling them, but we're trying to help them be different so that it can be more effective. Tell us a little bit about how you define the word compassion and what compassionate leadership is.
1: Wow, it's a great, great kickoff question because one of the first questions that we asked, and by the way, we did nearly a thousand hours of interviews of these 41 leaders. And that was the first question we asked, uh, what does compassion mean to you? And without hesitation, what we were able to extract, compassion is not about just being kind. Um, Kindness is table stakes. Compassion or compassionate leadership is about taking that empathy and transferring it into action. To have the greatest impact. And I guess when you look at that definition, I've always looked at bravery as, you know, courage and bravery in many respects means doing a task, even when fear is present. And that's compassionate leadership is that sometimes you have to take it to the next level. And every single leader that we interviewed had scores of examples of how they transferred that empathy into action. So very simple, compassionate leadership. It's empathy in action.
0: Well, we talk a lot about empathy on the podcast because empathy does seem to be a key influencer in putting yourself at the place of the other person versus expecting them to come to where you are and helping them, right? Putting your best foot forward and providing them observation or experiences with them to help them think about what they're doing a little bit differently so that they can influence their organization. And you mentioned this idea of uh, getting rid of fear and other guests have told us that that's impossible, that, you know, uh, being fearful and feeling fearful is just a natural part of kind of your body's DNA. And, you know, I'd love for you to comment or tell us a little bit about your experience on that front.
1: Well, it's very interesting because one of the corollary definitions to what we found in compassionate leadership, the definition that I just provided to you, and I think it really does apply to bravery is you have to have confidence in yourself. And, you know, I think it was Socrates who once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. What we found with one leader after another is that they took time each day to self-reflect on their own actions during the day. It's the only way that you can learn. And the other corollary is you have to be vulnerable. I'm not afraid to say to people that I have made mistakes in my career. I make mistakes every single day. But there seems to be a shortage of that level of confidence and courage. And so I think if you want to practice bravery, you have to be willing to have confidence in yourself. And confidence in yourself means that you have to be willing to admit that I've made an error. And that's bravery. You know, know, very interesting. um, For many years, and you mentioned the Robert F. Kennedy Ripple of Hope Award, I was very honored to receive that award. But I have spent most of my decades as a gay executive at the highest level, a CEO. And Ed, for decades, I never let anybody know that. And I I didn't have the courage. I didn't have the bravery. And when I went up to the podium the night that I was receiving the award, along with Hillary Clinton and Robert De Niro and Tony Bennett, I said to myself, shame on you. You're in front of 2,000 people Tim Cook was on the board at the time, and Tim had just come out and, you know, made his, you know, admission. I announced to that crowd that I am a gay man, and I also represent other things that you have always respected in my life. 2,000 people got off their seats and applauded me, and I wish I would have known that bravery when I started my career. I would have really... Um, Help myself a lot in terms of the connection. So my point to the the audience: you have to be vulnerable, and that is what bravery and compassionate leadership have. Compassion for yourself. Well, I, I'm just curious, Donato, if you don't mind sharing, was your
0: acknowledgement of your uh, status something you planned to do uh, in anticipation of the award, or was it like five minutes in advance of getting up to the podium? You said, you know what, I think now's the time.
1: Uh, it, it was when I walked up to the podium. And, you know, my partner of 30 years was in the audience and he was very, very touched, you know, by that. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. We had 200 of my employees there and they all afterwards ran up to me and they were so happy, but they said, Oh my gosh, it makes you less boring now. <laughs> it, was, it was really funny. And, you know, the connections that have happened since that moment uh, really transformed my life. And so you have to have confidence. In yourself and in who you are, you have to show bravery to yourself if you're going to show bravery to someone else.
0: Well, it's interesting on two fronts. One is this experience, and perhaps we can talk about it for a couple of minutes, where people uh, plot and plan how to be brave. So there's a behavior on my boss's behalf that is really disruptive, and no one has ever said anything to my boss about it because they've been afraid to say something. And finally, for whatever reason, I think about it and I plan for it and I you know, schedule the meeting you know, and I do all this planning and I hopefully say what I need to say and I hope it goes over well. And then there are other moments where it is just live, right? Where at a meeting or something, it just strikes me and I say, hey, there's something that I've been meaning to say and I think now is the right time. And I, I'm just wondering as someone who experienced that in a very public and visible way, if you have any thoughts or perspectives on the differences between those two.
1: Yeah, I do. And I, you know, I think a lot of it happens, a lot of it finds its roots in banishing your own self doubt. And what I think I realized that is that nobody cares what you are or what you do until they know why you do it. And I think that the passion that we bring to our professional and personal lives has more of a currency with people then you know our belief that if we reveal something about ourselves that it's going to be shocking to other people and so i think we really have to banish that self doubt and we have to look at ourselves as valuable assets and i think that's what's wrong in our society today is that we have created this divide and we've created this sense that nobody wants to speak up because they don't have the confidence in their own beliefs and i think the more we have confidence in our beliefs And the more we recognize that 99.99% of who we are is identical to what the other person's DNA is. And so that small difference is really what makes us unique. And that's what I'm hoping that this book will do. I guess I can answer your question best in a story that happened just yesterday. The Tremuto Foundation that I launched after 9-11, I don't know if you know my story. I was supposed to be on the second plane that hit the... um, uh, the South Tower. Because of a toothache, I changed my flight schedule, but my two friends and their three-year-old son got on the plane and lost their lives uh, when the United 175 hit the, um, the South Tower. Rather than have hatred in my heart, I launched the Tremuto Foundation, which for the last 20 years has been helping young um, uh, adults go to college Who have had disabilities. And I spoke to one of our laureates yesterday, and he was in the workforce last week, and his boss had asked him to do something that was a personal task. And we've been mentoring him over the last few years about how to have courage and how to have confidence. I was so proud that young man stood up and said, This is not part of my task. And so it really begins with banishing that self doubt. And he called me and I said, how do you feel? He said, well, I may lose my job. He said, but I really don't care. And I I thought that that's the kind of bravery that we really do need in this workforce today to allow the inclusion of other people's viewpoints and for you to have confidence that your viewpoint does matter.
0: Well, I love that story. And, you know, I oftentimes tell people that the feeling you get when you say something you need to say or do something you need to do that you know is the right thing to say. And of course, you always say it respectfully and professionally is fantastic. You know, I, I call it the cheerleader pose where people go back to their office and do a right. I, I said it right. I feel great. And I wish there was a way to transfer that feeling before you had to do it to motivate you to do it.
1: Well, Ed, you know, I ask you the question, do you think that this new generation Um, that they're a step ahead of our generation. I never would have done something like that, you know, now, because I've had 40 years in the workforce, and I really have learned the value of your insights. I was very pleased. And I think that the older workforce is going to have to embrace the Gen Zers who are thinking differently. You know, we have this term right now, the great resonation. And I think that so many employers are thinking by giving more money, by increasing the salaries 10% is going to change people's departure from the workforce. And the answer is no. And that's what our book really challenges. Unless we're willing to change the biases that we have, and one of the biases, age bias, thinking that a 23-year-old employee who did what he did last week is uncalled for, is not going to fly in today's workforce. Uh, the Gen Zers have much more bravery than I think the you know older generation
0: <laughs> might possess. Well, look, I want to answer your question, and I do believe there's a very subtle transition happening, and it's a transition where we're moving from the what we do. So we went to high school and college and learned how to be an attorney or learned how to be an accountant. learned how to be an economist and we always were focused on the what we were doing very little time and even today this is true very little time spent on how we do it so how do we motivate people how do we engage people how do we participate in conflict appropriately it'll always be there you can't avoid conflict so you know there's all these hows, and I think very subtly we're moving in that direction where words like empathy and compassion uh, and you know other similar words to that are becoming more and more integrated into how we lead. And we hear these great stories of organizations where leaders do things that are very uncharacteristic of the prior generation. And so it's a very subtle change. But I, I do believe we're moving in a direction where people are feeling a little bit more confident saying what they need to say or doing what they need to do because it feels like it's the right thing to do. I don't think we're there yet. It's not like we're flicking a switch and suddenly everybody's going to be honest with each other. But uh, I think we're slowly and quietly, you know, kind of moving in that direction.
1: Wow, that's music to my hearing aids, the way you, uh, you express that. And if I just may add one thing, I love this, how we do it. It's also why we do it. And, you know, for many, many years, my first book, I really do highlight this notion that nobody cares what you do Until they know why you do it. I love this notion now is how we do it. And I do think that there's a quintessential opportunity to really make the next generation of workers even more impactful. And that's why compassionate leadership. uh, I love the fact that you highlight this as bravery because that is exactly what compassionate leadership is, is the bravery and courage to charter into areas that you normally would have, you know, you know, not entered into.
0: Well, and I'm just curious, Donato, if you find as you talk about this publicly, uh, you know, words like empathy, I think oftentimes are met with uh, an affrontness like, oh, that's a soft skill or that's something, you know, weak people do or, uh, you know, that's not a strategic business skill. And I have to believe I could be wrong that a word like compassion has a similar type of uh, experience. And I'm just wondering what you've heard or what you've experienced as you talk more and more about this topic publicly.
1: Wow. Well, uh, Ed, I'm going to send you a signed copy of my book when it's ready. <laughs> but we open up the beginning, um, you know, pages with these three myths. You know, being compassionate is the same as being nice. Myth one, actually, no, because what you do is I introduce the concept of the three T's. The first T is tenderness to gain the trust, and then you can be tenacious. Too many leaders start with tenacity and then they go around with a pooper scooper. They haven't won the trust. And so you can be tough, but compassionate leadership reverses the way you approach it. Try to win the trust. The other, you know, myth is that it's a soft skill and quite the opposite. What we found is there has to be a compassionate leadership partnership that the other side has to be willing to understand that because the leader took the time to learn about your why and your how, is that when they are tough, that you really need to lean on that platform that is coming from a good place. And then the last one is compassionate leadership is weak leadership. And what we found is absolutely it's not. It's strong leadership because at the end of the day, you go home feeling better about yourself. You go home as an employee or as an employer feeling like you were able to really connect to the fullest level of that connection, which doesn't happen um, if you're just leading. And by the way, what we also propose, this walk around the workplace no longer works. You've got to go to the individual. You can't wait for the individual to come to you. You've got to use all of your senses, your nonverbal, to really detect if something is bothering someone. And we demonstrate how you can develop those skills in the book.
0: Well, and I think that's a fantastic example of something we talked about just a moment ago, which is this subtle transition from where we were to where we're going. Uh, when Tom Peters first, uh, I think it was Tom Peters, first talked about manage by walking around, you know, MBWA, uh, that was a huge Uh, declaration because before then people stuck in their office the whole time and they never left the office they never attempted to connect with people there was this very hierarchical type structure in organizations and if you wanted to see the boss you had to go to the boss right you had to make an appointment and knock on the door boss never came to you right that's ridiculous and so now Uh, Then somebody started to say, well, you actually have to get out of your office and walk around a little bit. And now I agree with you. It's it's beyond that. So now it's not just walking around and and being visible, but you have to actually approach people and say, hey, Donato, how's your day going? Uh,
1: You know, well, Well, and I I I use an example in the book that um, I was on an elevator. I never took the CEO elevator to my office. I always took the employee elevator. And I got on one day, it was eight o'clock in the morning, and there was an employee there. And I didn't just ask, how are you doing? I asked, tell me about what you are experiencing, a little bit different question. And he opened up that his family had been killed in Iraq, and his only surviving relative didn't have any money. I brought this individual to my office. Now, this is compassionate leadership, the courage to really stick your neck out, I brought him to my office, we got everybody together, we raised the necessary funds that could help his mother. That's a little bit different than just walking around and showing your face. You really have to take it to the next level of engagement.
0: Oh, absolutely, and I think that's a uh, fantastic example to end our conversation today, Donato. It's been wonderful having you as a guest. I think we could probably talk for hours. And I'm going to hold you to that commitment to send me a copy of your book, Autographs, because I would love to read it. And I can tell just about the uh, uh, inferences you've made about it, that the double bottom line, uh, which is the name of the book, what's the subtitle?
1: How compassionate leaders captivate hearts and deliver results. Right. It sounds like a fantastic read for
0: individuals who are looking to have a positive influence on their leadership style today. So, Donato, thank you so much for your time today. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to talk more about your work or, uh, you know, compassionate leadership?
1: Well, thank you very much for asking that question. And by the way, Ed, we don't see this book just as a book. It's a movement. And um, uh, if anyone wants to join the movement, You can go on, you know, donatotrimuto.com backslash uh, compassion, and there will be articles posted on the website. There will be a um, um, podcast that we'll be hosting. So uh, we hope that people will join this movement and um, make this world a tad more compassionate and kinder.
0: Fantastic. Well, Donato, thank you once again for joining us.
1: Thank you, Ed,
0: and you make it a great day. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today, and we hope you join us. For our next podcast conversation, as we further explore being brave at work, we also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at thebraveatwork.com and download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Wrist Strategies, whom you can reach at 800 222 5963 or visit them for more information at cabotwist.com.